Welcome to the Kanoi Church Podcast. We're glad that you're interested in connecting through this teaching time. If you'd like to connect further, feel free to reach out to us through our website, kanoichurch.org. For now, enjoy this teaching from Kanoi Church, where our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Good morning. I have to be honest. I know I wasn't away last week, but I was away the week before that, and I miss you guys when I'm not here. I felt like something was missing from my Sunday morning the other week. So I'm really glad to be back. Last week we did Story Sunday, and we talked to Dave and Carol Farmer about their story and some of their journey with cancer, and I found it to be very encouraging and helpful as we consider how we relate to God in the midst of trials and pain. This week, we jump back into our core value series, and so we're talking about the core values of our denomination. Our church, in case you're not aware, our church is part of a larger family of churches called the Brethren in Christ, and we have roots in four different historical areas, Anabaptism, Wesleyanism, pietism and evangelicalism. And those things have kind of, they're like DNA strands. They've wound together to create our denomination. And about 200 years after our denomination started, a group of men and women got together and said, how would we describe what those DNA strands have created when they came together? And that conversation brought about our 10 core values. So, just as a reminder, because it's been a few weeks since we've been there, here's the core values we've done already. Experiencing God's love and grace, believing the Bible, worshiping God, following Jesus, belonging to the community of faith, and witnessing to the world. And in case you haven't noticed, and I'm not sure how you wouldn't notice because they're very colorful, each week we have a core value up here and it migrates out there to the wall as a reminder as to what our core values are, as a church, as a denomination, as to what we stand for. So if you ever forget, they're right out there on the wall. Today we are engaging number seven. The core value today is pursuing peace, and it says this, we value all human life, promote forgiveness, understanding, reconciliation, and nonviolent resolution of conflict. Now, this is one of those interesting sermons. I thought it was going in a direction, and then it's like God was like, ah, I'm gonna take it in a different direction. So, bear with me. I realize that when I say the word peace, some of you will tune me out almost immediately. Because I know that when I say the word peace, you can already kind of predict a list of things that I'm gonna hit in some way, shape, or form in a sermon about peace. And there's some of you that are going to be afraid that there's some liberal agenda here. Uh, some of you are thinking I'm going to talk about gun control or military service or law enforcement, being a conscientious objector, and you're thinking we'll probably wrap it all up with like God is love or something like that. And you're like, Nick, I've heard this sermon before, and I don't agree. I'm not on the same page. And so I want to say to you this morning, if this is you, if I'm speaking to you right now, okay, that's okay. It's absolutely okay. You don't have to agree. I did not come to this church hoping to create a bunch of little robots that would regurgitate everything that I say. That's not helpful for unity. That's not helpful for community. I want you to be honest about where you are. 
I want us to be able to disagree and disagree well. So if this is a struggle for you this morning, that's totally okay. Know that that is okay. What is very important to me is that if we disagree, we do it in a way that is respectful and loving and actually shows the world outside of these walls that we can disagree and still be unified around who Jesus is in our lives. So that's the important thing to me this morning. I hope you know that. But you might find that we agree more than we don't agree. That's my challenge to you this morning. I think you'll be surprised. Now, all that gun control stuff, I'm not gonna talk about that today. I don't know that that would actually be a helpful conversation for us to have, especially from the pulpit to a congregation, especially in today's world. And I have committed to you before that I'm gonna remain largely unpolitical. I don't think being political in my position is helpful to my ministry to you at all. But I've also told you that I will be unapologetic about sharing God's heart for this world, okay? So with that known, Jesus, when he came to this earth, he had some things to say that were really hard for the world to hear. And he engaged individuals, he engaged groups of people, families, he engaged the religious world at the time, and yes, he, he did engage politics, which means sometimes when we share the heart of Jesus, it sounds political, all right? So know that too. My commitment, though, is to share the heart of God with you. So let me say this. We live in a very violent world. I think we can all look around and agree on that. And I don't mean just with wars and genocide. I don't mean just with mass shootings and school shootings. We live in a world where we sell video games that glorify violence. We live in a world where we pay good money to go see a movie with blood and guts and horror. We laud criminals as celebrities and celebrities as criminals. We live in a world where we allow our sons and daughters to be bullied and sometimes to become the bully. We live in a world where we're scared to speak up about spousal abuse, child abuse, senior abuse. We live in a world where crimes can end in your death and where being an unwanted child can end in your death. I can remain unpolitical and call a spade a spade. The world that we live in is focused and bent on violence, which is why we need to talk about peace. It's why we should talk about peace. It's why talking about peace and being people that represent peace actually sets us apart in this world. Because this core value, this idea of pursuing peace, of being a people that pursue peace is as relevant today as it was 500 years ago when the Anabaptists first came together and said, we wanna be a people of peace. So in order to talk about peace, I wanna talk about shalom. Shalom is a Hebrew word that means peace. And it doesn't mean like, peace, man. It means something better than peace, man. It means like this really deep-seated peace, this, this it's deep down on the core level of who you are sort of peace. It's all-encompassing. It's given to us by God, and it's a gift that we can give one another. The Jewish people would greet one another with the word shalom. They would say goodbye with the word shalom. And yes, it meant peace, and so it was a greeting and a goodbye and peace, but it meant more than that. If you and I were together and I went to say goodbye and I said goodbye as shalom, I wasn't just saying peace. I was actually saying 
all is well between us. In our relationship, all is good. I bear you no ill will. There's no resentment. There's no guilt. There's no mistrust. Everything between us is good. And when you responded to me and said shalom back, it meant that you agreed. It meant that we were good. And if you didn't say shalom, then I knew something was off. So I better go investigate. I better fix why there isn't shalom. As I think about this word shalom, as I think about the way that it's been used historically, I am led to ask the question, is there shalom between you and God? Do you have peace with God? Many of us in this room are gonna answer that question differently because we're all coming from a different place today. We all bring different burdens and issues and problems with us that affect our shalom with God. But when you come into this space today, when we begin our worship time together, can you say shalom to God? And if you can't, that's okay. But my hope is by the time we're done here together this morning, you could say shalom as a goodbye. There's a theologian named Cornelius Plantinga, and when trying to define sin, he said, sin is the culpable disturbance of shalom, which really just means that sin is any guilt that you may have in the disturbing or the destroying or the tearing down of God's peace in this world. And so for me, as I try to think about what is sin, as I think about my actions and my words and the way that I relate to other people, this definition's helpful for me because it's like a filter I can run things through. Am I creating shalom? Am I destroying shalom? And so I want to play a little game this morning. I've been watching too much of The Tonight Show or something, so I want to play games with you all. But all you guys have to do is remember two words. Your job is to say, build or destroy. And to make it even easier, it's on the screen so you can remember, right? I'm gonna say a situation, I'm gonna say something, and you're gonna respond back to me and tell me if we're building shalom or if we're destroying shalom in this situation, okay? So let's, we're gonna start out with a really easy one. Does gossip build up or destroy shalom? Destroy. Wow, I'm glad we got that one, good. All right, now, number two. Does embezzling money at my job build up or destroy shalom? Does helping an elderly person up the front steps build up or destroy shalom? It builds. Does cheating on your significant other build up or destroy shalom? Does praying with someone who's hurting build up or destroy shalom? Does writing an encouraging note build up or destroy shalom? Does speaking in anger build up or destroy shalom? Yeah, good job. Way to play that game. Now, those are, those are fairly black and white, right? I can stand up here, give you those examples. They're pretty black and white. And, and we know they're pretty black and white. They're pretty easy because as a congregation, we pretty easily came to the same conclusion altogether. But sometimes situations are far more complicated than that in this world, aren't they? A friend of mine tells a story um, about missionaries that went to Africa. And they were the first Christian missionaries to arrive at some of these tribes, and they found the tribal leaders very open to the message of Jesus, which was amazing, incredible. God was at work. The tribal leaders, as they began to understand what Jesus was saying, as they began to engage Paul's writings in the epistles, especially about marriage, they realized that they had a problem. They had multiple wives. And so in Scripture, it becomes clear that the ideal is one wife and one husband, 
and they were struggling. Well, what should we do? And so one of the chiefs says, I have three wives. I have children with each wife. Am I supposed to pick the first one? Because that's the first one I married, the one that I love the most, the one that's most open to the gospel. Which one should I pick? And so it became a problem because they also realized that as soon as they were to divorce two of the wives, they'd be ostracized from the community. They'd essentially be homeless. Their children would no longer be provided for. They wouldn't be allowed to have an education. They'd be thought of as almost dirt for the rest of their lives because the father wasn't present in their lives. So they came to the missionary and said, we're not sure what to do. We understand that this is breaking shalom, but it seems like if we just divorce, we're breaking shalom that much more. And so together, the chief and the missionary sat down and tried to figure out what to do. And you may not agree with their solution, but their solution was, it would be worse for you to divorce, disown these women and their children than it would be for you to stay married to them. So we're going to put a full stop on any further polygamous marriages. No one will ever get married to more than one wife again, but you need to finish this out and finish well. And you need to treat each of your wives as, as the scriptures are commanding you to do. And so from that day on, there were no more multiple marriages. So within one generation, the majority of the tribe had one wife. Within two generations, there was only a couple people left that had more than one wife, and within three, they only had one wife. And this was their solution to preserve as much of God's shalom as possible. You see how much of a gray area this creates? Do you see how sometimes when we seek to build shalom into the world, when we seek to pursue God's peace in the world, it's more complicated than we make it? So it's good that we're on the same page about things like gossip, but in reality, life is so much more complicated. I had the um, opportunity this week to go to a dinner to support Echoes. And maybe you're not familiar with what Echoes is in our community. It's a nonprofit, and their goal is to eliminate homelessness in E-Town. And if you want to learn more about them, there's actually information out in the lobby on one of the tables, and we're actually going to have them come and speak in a couple of weeks to us, give us about a 10-minute presentation on what they do and how we can get involved, because we think this ministry is so important. But at this dinner, they brought up um, a couple to share their story. And this, this individual, is a, he's a man, he, uh, he's from New Jersey. You can tell that English isn't his first language, uh, but he moved to E-Town. He's a chef. And one evening while he was out walking the sidewalks in E-Town, he was run over by a car. The driver never stopped, never checked to see if he was okay, ran from the scene. He had broken bones in his face. At least half his face was swollen so bad that he was almost unrecognizable, but he certainly couldn't see. Broken bones in his legs, shoulders. He had to have multiple procedures to get all this done. But you can imagine now that this man, who's the breadwinner in his family, he's suddenly out of work. He can't, he can't be a chef with all of these injuries. He can barely stand. So he doesn't have a paycheck coming in. Which means how do you pay for rent? Which means how do you pay for groceries? Which means how do you pay for your insurance that is hopefully covering the cost of these medical bills? you can see that the domino effect is going to lead to homelessness quite quickly. That driver broke the shalom in this man's life, his wife's life, his daughter's life, the landlord who's now not gonna get their rent, the job that he has who now doesn't have an employee cooking food for the restaurant that he's at. The shalom gets broken in the same domino effect that the brokenness then comes in and creates as well. Luckily, echoes can stop in 
Echoes can provide financial care and counseling. They can walk with them for more than a year as this man's rehabilitated to make sure that they are bearers of shalom. They bring peace with them into the situation. I tell you this story not because I'm telling you to go out and volunteer with Echoes, though that would be a great thing to do. I tell you this because it's a wonderful example of what it means to bring God's peace into a situation where the peace was broken. Our role as followers of Christ is to be bearers of peace. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus gives his shalom to us. Not like the world tries to give us, but true shalom. For true shalom casts out fear. True shalom removes the trouble from our hearts, which means that when we greet one another by saying something like shalom or peace or peace be with you, we're not just commenting that all is well in our relationship. You and I stand as reminders to one another that God's peace is present and God's peace is good. The perfect shalom of Jesus is a gift for each of us. And it's not the peace of this world. I thought long and hard about this scripture as I prepared for this message. He says, I do not give to you as the world gives. What kind of peace is the world trying to give to us? Well, it's escape into drugs and alcohol. It's escape when we feel good because we bought a new car or we bought a new outfit. It's knowing the latest gossip. It's, selfless. it's selfishness. It's pride. It's achievement. It's fame. There is no peace that this world can offer you that can compare to the peace that passes understanding that is your right to have as your relationship with Jesus. On the average day, an average person sees or hears 5,000 advertisements. 5,000. That includes every little pop-up ad on your computer. It includes the billboard, the radio ad, TV, everything. 5,000 ads a day on average of the world trying to get you to react in some way. The majority of these messages are not giving you peace. They're giving you lust and envy, greed, anger, false satisfaction, and very real pain. Buy this. You need this. Get this. So-and-so has this. You should have this. 5,000 ads a day, 5,000 times that the world is trying to push on you its version of wisdom, its version of love, its version of peace. When we are present in one another's lives, when we are bearers of peace to one another, we are reminders that there is something better than the things you're being bombarded with at every single turn. So I want to try something different today. It's something old. I want to pass the peace. And maybe you've never done that before. I have it up on the screen. If you could put the next slide up. This is pretty simple. I want you to stand up. We're going to take 20 seconds. I want you to greet some people around you. And I want you to do it this way. When you greet somebody, when you shake their hand, I want you to say, peace be with you. And the response to that is, and also with you. So go ahead. Let's take 20 seconds to pass the peace. 
be with you. And also with you. Peace be with you. And also with you. All right, you guys can find your seat again. The world is taking every opportunity to speak something other than peace into your life. And this isn't me trying to tell you that everything in the world is bad. I'm not saying that. But I can tell you that not everything in the world is pointing you toward God. It's not pointing you toward Jesus. And the world is taking a lot of time every moment that it can, to push those things into your life. So to take a moment to pass peace to someone else, to give them the greeting of peace, to speak peace into their life, to pray for peace over them or for them, that means more than you can ever know because for a moment you're stopping the bombardment of what the world is trying to offer. This sort of peace that does not mean anything to us. This week, brothers and sisters, Choose to be agents of peace to the world around you. Speak peace into the lives of those that you stand with, that you talk with, that you work with, that you meet randomly. Philippians 4, 7 says, and the shalom of God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace guards us. Let's be a people that speak peace. Now, that's sort of my 15-minute introduction to peace. And we need to talk about some of the practical things of peace today, too. We need to talk about some of the other things that are mentioned in this core value. I want to talk about life. This core value says that we value all human life. I don't need to spend a lot of time on this because it's plainly said we value all human life. But I will spell it out a little bit more clearly. It means that we value a fetus. It means that we value a baby, a child, an adolescent, an adult, and yes, the elderly. We value the lives of those who are rule followers and those who are rule breakers. We value the life of the victim and we value the life of the criminal. The brethren in Christ believe that God is the only one that has the right to end life, which is easy, once again, for me to stand up here and say to you, because I'm making it sound so black and white. But the truth of the matter is, when you're the victim or the criminal, things change. When you're the one who's pregnant due to rape, this is much harder. When it's your family member, your daughter who's on life support, it gets more complicated. When you're the police officer defending an innocent light, life, it gets complicated. And I'm not going to stand up here in front of you this morning and pretend that there is some sort of silver bullet that is going to fit every single situation. It doesn't exist. But what's clear to me, and I hope is clear to you, is that God loves what God has created. God absolutely loves what God has created. In Matthew 6, during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has gathered his disciples and so many followers before him on a hillside, and he says to them, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Because God loves what God has created. God loves what God has created. God loves you. 
I want to speak that into your life. If you've shown up here today and you're not sure, I want you to know that God loves you, that God values what he has created in you. Psalm 34 says, whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. All humans are made in the image of God. Regardless of race or gender, age, wealth, sexual preference, location, religion, or sin, every person is made in the image of God. Therefore, we desire to see them claim that image. No matter their sin, no matter their baggage, no matter how they've broken the shalom in this world, we desire for every person to awaken to the image of Jesus in them. One of the reasons that the brethren in Christ take peace so seriously is because we value life so much. Life, and even death, is worth the risk of spreading God's peace in this world. But none of us get to travel this life or navigate this journey without hurt, without pain, without someone out there disturbing our shalom or without us disturbing someone else's shalom. And when this happens, there are two tools that we really need to have in our belt. And those are the last two things we're gonna talk about this morning. It's understanding and forgiveness. That's part of the core value. Part of pursuing peace is being a people of understanding and a people of forgiveness. So I wanna talk first about understanding. If we wanna be agents of peace in this world, if we wanna follow Jesus' example in relationships, then we need to be willing to understand one another. Even when it's hard, even when we're hurting, and even when we think that they're wrong, we still need to understand. There's a very real conversation that happens for me when people find out that I'm a pastor. It's like finding out that someone has that tagline, pastor, creates a sudden like confessional, and people want to tell you where they stand with God. And they say things like, oh, I'm a Baptist. And I'm like, okay, obviously you go to church and you don't really want to talk about it. Okay, it's fine. Other people will come up to you and they'll say things like, well, I don't believe in God, or God's not real. And sometimes, as Christians, when somebody says something like, God's not real, or I don't believe in God, we take that as an invitation to try and convince them otherwise. We take it as an invitation to argue. For me it seems like an invitation to ask the question, why? You don't believe in God? Why? And so often what I find out is that they have a really good reason. Sometimes it feels like the entire world is stacked against them. Bad stuff happens at every single turn. It feels like God hates them. And the last thing they need is me to try and argue with them. They've already told me they believe in God because they think God hates them. What they need to hear is that God is love. What they need to hear is that God is for them, that God loves them, and that God stands with them in their pain and their hurt. They don't need me to argue with them. Sometimes people will tell me they don't believe in God, and then when they go on to describe the monstrous version of God that somebody handed them as a child, I want to say, yeah, I don't believe in that God either, and you probably shouldn't. 
because that's not God. But let me tell you about a rabbi I know, 2,000 years ago named Jesus. He was the perfect image of God. And you know what our scriptures tell us? God is love. God is not a monster. But you don't get to have those kind of conversations with people if you want to argue and fight. You have those sort of conversations when you lead the way with understanding, when you ask the question, why? Tell me your story. Remember that Jesus met with people in their homes, and he met with the people that no one else would ever meet with or talk to or touch, and he asked them their story again and again and again. Jesus led the way with understanding, not judgment, understanding, not arguments, understanding and love. I want to tell you a story that my good friend and fellow pastor Justin Douglas once told in a sermon that I had the privilege of hearing. He was kind enough to give me his notes, so I'm going to set it up, but I'm going to read you his words then. Justin had the opportunity to meet an Iraqi Christian doctor, and when he was talking with her, he noticed a couple of things. She was extremely critical of the American government. She believed that the American government ruined her country, and as they talked he saw that various things about her perspective were very different than his. And so he found himself asking the question, should I argue or should I listen? And make no mistake, Justin is incredibly, incredibly intelligent and incredibly articulate. If he wanted to fight and he wanted to argue, he could have. But instead, he chooses to listen because as he reflects on it, he believes that this is what Jesus would have done if he was in this situation. So, this is what he writes, I listen. And when I listen, I hear about how her children's school was bombed. Many children died, and my government dropped those bombs. I listen about how she was kidnapped and held for ransom. I hear about the tension that existed between Christians and Muslims, and it was so high during the early stages of the war because all Christians, Iraqi Christians, were even seen as Western sympathizers. And then I keep listening because through tears, I hear how her family used to get together every Sunday for a meal, 20 plus of them, and this was her peaceful place. Now, Many of them are either dead or scattered throughout different countries because they couldn't stay together. And then she tells me that her husband is in a different country and her kids are in different countries because they had to take whatever citizenship they could get in order to be safe. So they see each other maybe once a year, if that. I tell you this story because as I sat under Justin's teaching, it challenged me. And Justin didn't end that story telling the congregation how everything turned out great, okay. He ended it by saying, now I understood why she felt the way she felt. See, Justin was able to offer her compassion and shalom by listening, not through an argument. The last thing she needed was an argument. We need to be people of understanding. We need to be people who listen. We need to be willing to ask the question why, rather than being so judgmental and argumentative. We need to listen. Somebody here in this congregation, I don't remember who it was, told me, we have two ears and one mouth, so use them in accordance. 
That is so silly and so wise at the same time. We should be listening twice as much as we speak. Listen this week. We need to talk about forgiveness too. And this one, I think, is harder than understanding. And again, I will not stand in front of you and tell you I have all the answers. In fact, I'm actually going to use someone else's writing on forgiveness to talk with you because I think it's better than what I could come up with. Colossians 3.13 says this, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. As he hung on a cross, Jesus looked down and before him, was his mother, at least one disciple, a crowd of people, soldiers and religious leaders. And as he looked upon them, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Even in this moment of crucifixion, Jesus offered forgiveness to those around. And he admits that they have no idea exactly what they're doing but he offers them forgiveness just the same. We are not meant to harbor bitterness. We're not created in that way. Bitterness and anger and anxiety and fear can make us physically ill. We harbor our emotions in our muscles and our ligaments, and sometimes our headaches and our backaches are coming because we are bearing so much stuff we should not be bearing. I've seen people's physical ailments go away almost instantly as they let go of those things. When we harbor bitterness and anger, Stress and anxiety, it makes us ill, but it can also make us difficult to be around. It can make us nearly impossible to talk to sometimes because we lead with that. I want to tell you a story that I've never told from the pulpit before. When, I, when Chris and I were in the hospital with our second daughter, Micah, and it became clear that Micah wasn't going to make it, the doctors suggested that they should draw a vial of blood so they can test it. Because at this point, we had no idea what was causing issues in our children. We just know that they were born and they became very sick very quickly. And so we agreed, let's draw the blood. Hours after they drew the blood, Micah got an infection and she passed away. And hours after she passed away, the hospital informed us that they had accidentally thrown the blood sample away, that it was disposed of. It never made it to a refrigerator. It would never make it to the laboratory. So what are we to do? I feel so angry. I feel like there's no justice. I feel like we're never going to get answers. Any answers that we might have just got tossed into the trash can with that vial of blood wherever it ended up. We felt like someone should pay. We felt like the hospital should hurt the way we're hurting. That hospital, some unknown employee, a healthcare system in some way, shape, or form had broken the shalom in our lives. It'd be very easy for us to be unforgiving. It'd be very easy for us to hold that at the top of our hearts, never allowing ourselves to work through it. 
some of you here today have had some of the most unfair stuff happen to you. People have broken your shalom in ways that they never, ever should have. And I don't have a silver bullet for you. I just want you to know that I hear that you're in pain. I see that you're in pain. I see that you struggle with it. I want you to know how much God loves you. I want you to know that God stands with you in it. And if I can be anything for you, I want to be a bearer of peace for you, a reminder that God's peace exists for you. Forgiveness is so hard. Brad Jerzak is an author. He's also a uh, theologian and a a college professor. Uh, But he was formerly a Mennonite pastor. And he recently wrote a book. And in this book, near the very end, he has a section on forgiveness. And I just finished this book last week. And as I came across this section on forgiveness, uh, I'll be honest, I read it through tears. Because there's so much in my own life that I still am working through. So much forgiveness and so much pain. And there's so much recognition that I am the shalom breaker for others at different points in my life. And I need to seek forgiveness for that too. So I wanna talk about these two sections that he writes. And the first one is forgiveness is not saying, if you can pull that up for me, thank you. Forgiveness is not saying it's okay. Forgiveness is not saying it's okay. The sin of harming, of harming God's children is never okay. Abuse, oppression, it's never acceptable. And forgiveness doesn't minimize injustice or the damage that it has done to you. So forgiveness is not saying it's okay. Forgiveness is not saying I'm okay. Forgiveness does not mean rushing through stages of grief. It may take you years to have healing from something that happened to you, and I understand that. Genuine forgiveness takes time. But God is the one that can provide healing for you. Forgiveness is not saying you're okay. When you look someone in the face who has broken your shalom, forgiveness doesn't just let them off the hook. Repentance includes facing consequences, which can include incarceration, rehabilitation, restitution, and restoration. So forgiveness is not just saying you're okay. Forgiveness is not saying we're okay. Because sometimes it is impossible for you to enter back into a relationship where there has been pain and hurt. If you have been abused, it is not a wise thing to enter back into the abusive relationship unless you can be sure that that will not continue. Sometimes it is impossible to enter back into a relationship. So forgiveness is not saying, we're okay, all is forgiven, all is forgotten, let's just move on. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness does mean letting go. That's his second section. And this is what I found to be 
so hard. Because I don't know if it's in my nature, if it's just my personality, but I want to hold things against people who have hurt me. Maybe you feel the same way. Maybe that's deep down in you too and you can relate. But forgiveness means letting go. So forgiveness happens when we release our offenders to Christ's judgment rather than chaining our hearts to them with resentment. God is judge, not you. And the longer you try to play judge, the more you chain yourself and your spirit and your forgiveness to the person you're trying to forgive. Let God take care of it. Let it go. Forgiveness happens when we release our burdens of hurt, grief, anger, loss, and sorrow to God's care rather than stuffing them or fashioning them into weapons. I told you already, we're not people that are made to harbor bitterness and anger and fear and anxiety. It comes out in physiological ways. We be, our bodies begin to break down. We're not made to stuff it. Don't stuff your pain. Don't stuff your anxiety or your sorrow or your bitterness. Find someone you can trust to talk to. Seek a professional counselor if that's what it takes, but do not stuff it. And don't let your hurt become a weapon to hurt other people. We've said it before here, hurting people hurt people. Your hurt, the fact that someone broke your shalom, doesn't give you the right to break other people's shalom. We need to remember that. And when we've crossed that line, we need to repent of it. Forgiveness happens when we release the debt of others' offenses into God's hands. Even if they repent sincerely, and they make restitution, our offenders can never cover the debt of harms done. I'm going to stop there for a second. I'm going to say that again. If you've been abused or you were raped at some point, these are easy examples for me to use. Just because you forgive the person who hurt you doesn't mean that it's okay. It doesn't mean that because they serve their time, all is good and all is well. It doesn't mean that you're healed because of it. Okay? We have to let God bear that burden, okay? God is the one we need to take those things to. That pain, that broken shalom, he is the restorer of shalom. He is the great physician. He is the healer. He is the one that can take those burdens from you. So forgiveness happens when we release our healing into God's hands. Your healing your complete and utter healing is going to come from one place. That is from above. That is from God. No one's punishment or repentance is sufficient to heal us. Only God can heal us. And again, I recognize that this is hard. I want you to know that as your pastor, there are things I have to come to again and again and ask God to release me of these things. I have to be released of my anger towards certain people or my pain about certain things, about certain injustices. I talk about my daughters on a fairly regular basis, but know that that's a pain that doesn't go away. That's a pain that I have to release again and again, and when I don't, it builds up inside of my heart. This is not a one-step process. It's not a quick thing. It is a continual thing. It's continually us coming back before that cross and releasing our burdens again and again and again. Forgiveness happens when we release our guilt into God's hands. 
if you've allowed your pain to make weapons and cause other people pain. Forgiveness can only happen when you release your guilt into God's hands. If we've become the offender, we need to repent. And I recognize again that this isn't easy. And there is a part of us that feels like when we hurt those who hurt us, that's justice and that's fair. But we serve a God who comes back to us again and again and says, justice is mine, vengeance is mine, I am the judge, leave it in my hands. We need to be a people that do that. Do you understand the world in which we live, the world that gives us 5,000 ads a day, the world that's bent on violence, the world that lifts up all of that, if we can be people who are peaceful, if we can be people who are understanding, if we're willing to listen, if we can be people who can actually forgive, do you realize how different we would be in this world today? There is no way people couldn't look around and say, what is going on with those people? Something is so different about them, and I am curious. When we are people of peace, people ask questions. So where are you this morning? As you think about forgiveness, is there someone that you need to go to and ask for forgiveness? Is there someone that you need to forgive? Is there anger and guilt and burden that you need to bring to Jesus because you continue to bear it? Then do it. Don't wait. I implore you this morning, do not wait. Schedule that coffee. Take that person out to breakfast. Make the phone call. Do what you have to do. But don't wait. Don't bear it. If there are things you need to release, then come and release them. If there are those you need to forgive, forgive them. And if there are those that you need to ask for forgiveness, seek them out. Being a peacemaker, being one who pursues peace is so much more than nonviolence. And I hope you can see that this morning. It is a recognition of the value of life. And because we value life, we are willing to be understanding. Because we value life, we want to forgive. We want to reconcile. We want to speak peace into this world. And it takes time to listen and understand and repent and forgive. And we live in a world that pushes you from one thing to the next. And so this is countercultural to take the time to do the work of working through the pain and the healing that needs to happen. But folks, that gift of peace that passes all understanding is each of ours this morning to take. And so I implore you to take it. And when we come together as a community on a Sunday morning or for a campfire on a Wednesday night, we have the opportunity to be speaking peace into one another's lives. We can remind one another that in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the trials, in the midst of those people out there who are hurting us, that there is peace in this world that can be available to everyone. Let us be bearers of peace to the world that does not know peace and let us be reminders of peace to one another. That is our role. That is our job. So let me close with Psalms 34 once again. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. 
Hi, this is Pastor Nick. Thanks for listening. I hope something that you heard today was very helpful. If you want to connect with us further, feel free to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or our website, kanoichurch.org. Sure, I'm glad we're in this together.